0: I love uh, Baby Dedication Sundays. It reminds us of uh, one of the ways we grow our church here at Vista. You know, we point people to Jesus, invite them to church, have lots of babies. That's the way, (laughs) that's the way we do that, right? Um, Really grateful for these families. If you have your Bibles with you uh, this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 51 today. Psalm 51, we're continuing in our series this summer called Summer in the Psalms. Uh, We're about halfway through uh, the series and today... We're looking at Psalm 51, which um, I know for myself and for many that I've talked to, Psalm 51 is maybe uh, one of the most important psalms um, anywhere in Scripture. It's one that I go back to often. I know many of you uh, return to often. It is a psalm of repentance, a psalm of repentance. It's really a psalm that shows us and teaches us what genuine and true repentance really looks like, what it really is. Um, I've talked a, a little bit in the past about this, but You know, we are people that are called Christians, we pattern our lives after Jesus, we should in fact imitate the way of Jesus, Um, and yet there's one thing that we must do in our lives that Jesus never did, and that is repent. We must be people that repent well, that repent often, that repent the right way, that understand what genuine and full repentance is. In other words, I'll say it this way, we need to be people that are good at repentance because why? Uh, We're good at sinning, aren't we, right? Right? Truth is, we're good at sinning, and if we're going to be good at sinning, we need to be good at repenting. And Psalm 51 um, is a psalm where David is repenting for a grievous uh, moral failure in his life. Um, you can read the story uh, for yourself. Um, it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 17, we see the story of David's sin, and then in 2 Samuel 12... 1 through 10, we see that his pastor, about a year later, confronts him over that sin. Uh, Nathan, the prophet, confronts David. And then Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 are psalms that um, after he has been confronted over his sin, um, he pours his heart out to God, and we're going to dive into that in a minute. For the sake of time, I won't reread the story of David and Bathsheba to you. I'll try to give the sweet and condensed version really quick so you'll kind of know the context for Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Scripture tells us in 2 Samuel that it was the time when kings go off to battle, so David is a king and he should have been off to battle, but instead David sends everybody away that could have held him in any way accountable and challenged him and told him no, and he is by himself there at the palace and he is uh, walking out on the roof of his palace one night and he sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba, she is bathing and he lusts after her. Ultimately, he sends some people to get her, bring her to him, and he has sex with her. Now, there is some debate among modern scholars as to whether Bathsheba was a willing participant and this was a, a, an affair that they had, or whether David being in the position of power um, uh, basically took her, brought her, and it was more like an assault where she could not have told him no. The reality of it is we don't, we don't really know the context of that. Um, there's probably some evidence on either side, whichever way you, David certainly was in the position of power. Um, He did send men to get her. Um, uh, We also know that later, after all of this episode, David and Bathsheba get married, and they have other children together, and they seem to, uh, according to Scripture, have a pretty healthy, good marriage uh, later. And so uh, the reality is, either way, it's a grievous sin, a grievous moral failure. Uh, David then, instead of confessing that um, and trying to make that right, he doubles down by trying to cover up his sin. And so basically, he... Uh, sends for her husband who's on the battlefield where he's supposed to be and brings him back thinking he'll come back and he'll sleep with his wife and they'll think it's their baby and I'll be good I'll, I'll be covered up and everything will be good the problem is Uriah her husband was a was a godly man he was a just man he uh he comes back but he knows that his 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 heart his mind are with his his soldiers on the battlefield and he will not he will not uh sleep with his wife um he feels that that would be a betrayal to 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 all of them and so David then tries, uh, the next phase of his plan is, well, I'll get him drunk. I'll get him drunk. So he gives him some of the the good wine, right, from the palace. Gets him drunk. Still doesn't work. Uriah, uh, man, Uriah was a better man drunk than David was sober, basically. And so finally, none of his plans are working. And David then sends Uriah back to the battlefield. But with him, he sends a secret message to the the general and says, I want you to put Uriah at the front of the battle line. Attack where the, the fighting is the fiercest. And then I want you to withdraw everybody except Uriah so that he'll be struck down and killed. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah is placed at the front of the lines. Everyone withdraws. Uriah is struck down and he's killed. So David uh, sleeps with Bathsheba and to cover up his sin, then he murders her husband. And David thinks for about a year that he's gotten away with it. He's like, done, gone. Nobody knows about it. It's fine. My sin is, no one's going to have to ever find out about this. Well, about a year later, Nathan the prophet approaches David and tells him this story. Basically says there was a man who had um, a whole flock of sheep, lots of sheep. He could have had any one of his sheep. And he's going to throw a big massive party, but instead of taking one of his own sheep um, to, to slaughter for the party, he, he finds a guy who has one lamb. One lamb. And he loved this lamb. It was like a pet to him. And he, he took care of it diligently. And he says, Instead of taking from his own flock, he takes that, that man's one lamb and he kills that sheep to feed his guests. And David's, man, as the king, he is indignant. He is angry. This, his anger burns within him and David's like, who is this man? You tell me who this man is. That man deserves to die. And Nathan the prophet looks right at David and says, you are the man. You are the man. And what we have in Psalm 51 and then in Psalm 32 is after David has been confronted with his sin... You see David uh, just pour his heart out to the Lord in in true repentance um, over, he's broken over his sin. As you read these Psalms, you're going to sense that real true brokenness over his sin. David was called a man after God's own heart. And I would remind you, David did not give himself that title. That's a title that God gave to David. David. God said that David was a man after my own heart. And I've often thought about this, like, how could a guy who had such grievous moral sin, moral failure, be called a man after God's own heart? And I really, truly believe that the reason David was considered a man after God's own heart is because of Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. These Psalms where David knew what it meant to be broken over his sin. And pour his heart out to God. And so Psalm 51 teaches us a great deal as believers about what it means to repent. What does genuine and true repentance look like? So I'm going to read Psalm 51 now that you have the context for that. And then we'll talk about repentance today. It says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You can just sense in this psalm, David pouring his heart out to the Lord. And one of the things that I notice right off the bat in the, in the psalm is that David is, is, is confessing, repenting of, he's sort of pouring out and dealing with not just part of his sin, not just sort of little bits and pieces, but he's literally dealing with, with all of his sin, all of it. Every little bitty thing, every ginormous big thing, every, every bit of sin in his life, David is, is confessing and dealing with here. Um, we know that from the three different words that David uses as the psalm begins for sin. These are the three Hebrew words for sin. Um, incidentally, they're the same three words that David uses in Psalm 32. You don't have to turn there. I'll just show you, um, read for you really quick just the first five verses. This is Psalm 32, also written after David's sin with Bathsheba. And, and here's, the, here's what David says. He says, Blessed is the, the one whose transgression, there's the first one, is forgiven. Whose sin, there's the second one, is covered. And blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. There's the third one. Um, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. And through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the, by the heat of summer. Verse 5, he uses the same three words. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not count, um, I, And I did not cover my iniquity. There's the second one. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Those same three words. Those are the three words. Sin, iniquity, and transgression. And they all carry a little bit different weight uh, behind them. Um, first, the first one is sin. I'll explain them uh, really quick, the difference. So sin is the most common word. Um, in the Hebrew language. And it simply means to miss the mark, okay? You miss the mark. So the idea would be like an archer um, uh, aiming at a target and he's shooting his arrows, but he's just off and he just misses the mark. Sometimes when we sin, it's because we were trying to do right and we just messed up and we just missed the mark. That's the most common Hebrew word. The second word that he uses is the word iniquity. Iniquity is a little bit more weighty. Um, it means um, iniquity, so unequal. You're unequal to the task. You don't measure up, okay? So the idea would be like um, a shepherd to a sheep. You know, if, uh, as sheep, we need to stick close to the shepherd. If we're going to walk in holiness, we need to be close to our shepherd. And the problem with sheep is, well, they're not always the brightest of animals, right? Sarah talked about that weeks ago in the 23rd Psalm. We're the sheep, by the way, that says about us. Okay, sometimes our heads are down, we're just not paying attention, and before long we look back and we're not anywhere near the shepherd. Anyone ever feel like that? Sometimes we're just not paying attention, and and before long we look back and, man, we are not close to Jesus, and we're not equal, we don't measure up to the task. Other times, the third Hebrew word is the word transgression. Transgression is the strongest Hebrew word for sin. And it means outright, defiant, willful rebellion against God. It means it was sin, and you knew that it was sin, and you did it anyway. It means you might have even planned it well ahead of time, okay? It's an outright, defiant, willful, I didn't just mess up, no, no. I planned to sin and I carried through with my sin and I walked in sin. It is the strongest of all the Hebrew words for sin. Now, what's awesome about this text and on the Psalms is David uses all three words in his his repentance. David's not just praying for the times he accidentally messed up. He's praying even um, confessing and repenting of even the times like with Bathsheba where it was outright willful. He knew it was wrong. He did it anyway. And listen, church, the good news is that Jesus goes to a cross and when Jesus dies on the cross, he is dying for all of it. He's not just dying for the times you accidentally sin and mess up. He's not just dying on the cross and paying the price for the times when you, know, you weren't paying attention and you wandered away from the shepherd. Jesus dies on the cross and he pays the price even for your transgression, your outright willful acts of rebellion against God. And that's good news that all three have been paid for at the cross, right? David's confessing not just part of his sin, he's confessing all of his sin, and you and I should do the same. Well, then we get into the text a little bit and we find out what is genuine repentance? What is true repentance? Well, first of all, what we see is that David acknowledges his sin, he confesses it, and he owns up to it, okay? He's acknowledging it, he's, he's confessing it to the Lord, and he's owning up to it. Nowhere in Psalm 51 is he trying to cast blame on something or someone else. Which is, what do we try to do with ourselves? I was thinking about that this week. What is our tendency when we have sin in our life, in our, in our human sort of nature, what do we tend to do with it? Well, uh, first of all, we, we, we tend to want to cover it up and hide it, don't we? We want to cover it up and hide it. That's what David did for about a year. For about a year, David tried to cover it up and hide it. It's the same thing we do. If I can sweep it under the rug, if I can keep it in the closet, if I can hide it from everybody else, nobody else will think I'm a bad person, nobody else knows what I did, then, I, then, then, then it's Okay. David tried that too. David tried that too. And I'm sure you know this, but the truth is you can hide it from a lot of people, but, but your sin is never hidden from the Lord. It's never hidden from the Lord. The second thing we often do with our sin is we downplay it, don't we? We downplay it. It's just not that big a deal, right? I mean, yeah, I did this, but it's not, I didn't hurt anybody. It's, it's not a problem. My sin is not that big of a deal. We also, part of downplaying it is comparing our sin to other people. You, that's one of the ways we downplay it, right? Well, yeah, I did this, but look at them, right? Look at what they're doing, right? We always we always try to compare our sin to other people. Can I just tell you that other people are a poor standard for what for for your for your sin in your own life. They're a poor standard. We tend to downplay it, you know? The other thing we do is we try to justify it. You know, yeah, I did this, but here here here's why. Here's why. We tend to find ways to justify what we've done, as if, again, to try to, in our minds, place some mental gymnastics there and make it like it wasn't a big deal. The other thing we do is we tend to blame others. We tend to blame others. Uh, This is a classic way to deal with sin among people. Uh, This has happened ever since the garden, Uh, Genesis, Adam and Eve, right? Ever since Genesis, Adam and Eve have done the same thing, right? God comes to Adam and says, Adam, what have you done? And what does Adam do? right? He's like, it was that woman, God, that woman that you gave me. So if you think about it, kind of your fault, right? Like that's what Adam does. The classic human response is to point to someone else, point to someone else, right? It was my friend's fault. It was my parents' fault. It was my spouse's fault. That's a good one. It was my boss's fault. It was, we always want to blame somebody else's fault. Man, my sin can't be me. It's got to be somebody else. If we can't blame people, we make other excuses and blame maybe other circumstances or culture. Uh, that's one of the big ones. It's, it's culture, the culture we live in. It's so hard to be a follower of Jesus in this culture. True, but can I just tell you, there's, there's actually never been a culture in the history of the world that's been easy to be a follower of Jesus. We blame my environment. It's the environment I was raised in. You know, it's the, it's the home I was in. I wasn't hugged enough as a child. It's, we think of all these reasons why my sin is not my fault. And one thing I notice about David in Psalm 51 is he doesn't play that game. He probably tried to play that game for like a year, but when he's finally called out Nathan the prophet, David lays that stuff down. And Psalm 51 is David acknowledging, it's him confessing, and it's him not blaming anything or anyone else for his sin. He's fully and totally owning up to it. He says, "Um, I know my transgressions, they're always before me against you. You have I sinned and done what is evil, he calls it evil in your sight and he's not blaming anybody else. That's the first step of true repentance. First step for us in true repentance. We acknowledge it, we confess it, and we own up to it and stop blaming it. The second sort of aspect of true repentance that I see here is that David is truly broken over his sin. There's brokenness, there's sorrow for his sin. He is indeed finally truly sorry for what he's done. And there's, You can see the brokenness in the text, right? You can just sense it. This isn't some sort of flippant, casual thing. Uh, God, I'm a sinner. Everybody's a sinner, so thank you for forgiving my sin. Like it's no big deal. No, there is genuine, man, his heart is broken over what he has done. There's a brokenness there. Unconfessed sin in the life of a believer has a lot of really negative consequences, has a lot of really negative effects. There's physical effects, there's spiritual effects. Again, this may not be true for unbelievers. Unbelievers sin, and it's like, you know, it's just what they do. But for believers, listen, when, when you became a believer, God didn't make it to where you couldn't sin anymore. He made it to where you couldn't sin and be comfortable with it. You can't sin and just con- and be comfortable with it. And so David has truly finally broken over his sin. Some of the physical effects of unconfessed sin for believers is is unnecessary stress, anxiety, guilt, shame, lack of sleep, depression. David goes through all of these things for a year with unconfessed sin in his heart. More importantly than the physical effects are the spiritual effects, the spiritual effects that unconfessed sin has in the life of the believer. One of those is unconfessed sin, it hardens your heart. Unconfessed sin hardens your heart. Look what David says in verse 10. David prays, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And this is one of the things that if you harbor like unconfessed sin in your life, you're gonna notice over time, the longer that sort of sits there, that your heart just becomes hard towards God and towards the things of God. Over time, sin has a hardening effect on our hearts. And that's why it's dangerous because the longer you go with unconfessed sin, Man, it just sort of builds this wedge in between, in your relationship with the Lord. Sin becomes easier. It becomes more common. It becomes no big deal. That's the hardening effect that sin has on your heart. David needed God to give him a new heart, to clean up his heart. The second thing is unconfessed sin, it steals your joy. Unconfessed sin will steal your joy. Notice what David prays in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Notice David doesn't say, restore to me salvation. He didn't lose his salvation. God still has a lot of work to do in David's life. God still has a lot of plans for David. So thanks be to God, when we sin, God doesn't like remove salvation. He doesn't like kick us out of his kingdom. God doesn't have like a three strikes and you're out policy. Thank Jesus, right? But it does rob us of joy. Man, unconfessed sin will absolutely rob us of joy. That's why David's praying, I need I need the joy back in my life. You'll notice if you have unconfessed sin in your heart as a believer, man, it's just robbing you of your joy. It's robbing you of your joy. And then finally, unconfessed sin, it quiets our worship. Unconfessed sin has a way of just silencing our worship. Look what David says in 14 and 15. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And then look and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Man, I just get this picture of David, who knows what he did, and he knows that God knows what he did, and so it's very hard to come into the presence of God and worship God when you have unconfessed sin in your life. Listen, I don't mean that you can't come in here and sing some songs. We can all put on the facade. We can all sing familiar songs. We can even raise our hands. We can do the whole deal. But at the end of the day, it is hard to honestly, genuinely, truthfully worship God and declare His goodness when you know that in your heart there is sin that you have not dealt with. Sin has a way of just quieting our worship. It silences our worship. And David knew that. And so David is longing to be at a place where he's free from that and he can truly and genuinely worship God again. Sin has a lot of... A lot of um, just, it causes a lot of problems in our life. True repentance starts with acknowledging it, confessing it, and owning up to it. And then it's about being broken over the sin in our life. And then finally, the last aspect of true repentance is a turning from your sin. This is the final aspect it's, it's a turning from it. In other words, true repentance isn't, yeah, I'm sorry for this and then with the full intention of just continuing to do it and walk in it. That's not genuine repentance. Genuine repentance means I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for my sin, and I am going to do the best. I'm going to try not to walk in that any longer. That means putting some things in place, some boundaries, putting some steps, surrounding yourself with accountability. Whatever it takes, I'm going to do everything that I can to not walk in that any longer. True repentance is you're walking one way and you decide, nope, I'm done, and you turn around and you walk back the other way. That's genuine, true repentance. It involves making it right. If you've wounded, hurt, wronged someone else with your sin, it involves doing everything in your power to actually make that right again. I think about Zacchaeus in the New Testament. He was a tax collector who ripped people off. And then when he meets Jesus, he's changed. And part of his repentance meant he went back to everybody that he ripped off and he paid them back more than he took from them to begin with. That shows genuine repentance, a willingness and desire to make what I have done wrong right again. That's genuine repentance, acknowledging it, confessing it, owning up to it, brokenness over our sin, true sorrow, and then ultimately turning from our sin and walking back to Jesus. That's what genuine true repentance looks like. I'll close with just this this idea as I read Psalm 51, ultimately David, I love that David gets to the root of the problem here. David's not just treating the cause, he's not just treating the the, the symptoms, if you will, he's treating the cause. Notice that in Psalm 51, there's nothing about Bathsheba or Uriah or murder or adultery, or there's none of that specifically mentioned. But he's like, look, I'm. what I have done is evil. Calls it what it is. I was sinful from birth. What David is saying is this. Like, I have a problem that's not just these external things. I have a problem that's not just out there. David's admitting, I have a problem that's in here. Church, you want to know why we sin so much? Because we're sinners. <laughs> I mean, that sounds pretty simplistic, but like, that's the truth. We sin because we're sinners. And so... Listen, when Jesus went to a cross and he died, he's, what he's doing, he's paying for your sins, not just sins, not just all the gossip and the, and the slander and the lust and the greed and the, all the specific things, but he's, he's dying and paying for the sin problem that is at the core of who we are. That's what he's dying for. He pays for the sin problem that every single one of us have. Like we all know we're broken. That's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise to any of you. We all know there's something in us that's not right. That is at the core of our humanity. And that's why Jesus comes. And Jesus goes to a cross. And he gives up his life, his perfect sinless life, on a cross in our place to pay for our sin, the sin problem, so that you and I can have clean hearts and clean lives. That's why Jesus came. He died for our sin, He died for our iniquity, He died for our transgression. He didn't just treat the symptoms, He got to the cause. Let's pray together today. Father, we are grateful today for Psalm 51 that shows us what genuine and true repentance looks like. And Lord, I pray today for for those that may be here that, that, that feel very far from you, Those that are here that know there is some unconfessed sin in their life and today it is robbing them of their joy and their affection for Jesus. God, that sin has just been quieting their worship for far too long. I pray today that we would respond to sin the way David did. That we would respond in true and genuine repentance in every sense of the word. That we would stop blaming everything and everyone else for it. That we would own it that we would truly be broken over our sin and that God, ultimately, we would turn from it and head back to you. God, teach us to be people that repent well because I think the, the, the truth is that most of us in here, we would long to be, we want to be people after your own heart. And in order to do that, we need to be people that know how to repent well. And So thank you for Jesus and for the great sacrifice on the cross for our sin. We pray these things in Jesus' name today, amen.